Welcome to a low-budget, no and no-budget podcast production. Welcome to the quarantine sessions. In every episode, I will be talking to one street theatre artist, asking them how and why they took up their profession and, perhaps most interestingly, how they're dealing with the situation today. To quarantine sessions, it's going to take more than a worldwide lockdown to keep us down. All right, today we are with Steve Sturgey Addis. Yo, how's it going? Hello, Shiva. I'm doing all right. The sun is shining and got a little bit of the COVID blues. <laughs> Let's say that much. <laughs> yeah, because you are actually from North America, not the United States, from Canada. I thought I'd try to talk to you in your own lingo and not be so serious and go, yo, brother, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good to me. Sounds good. <laughs> you are a performer who has been on the scene for not super, super long as a street performer, but you've been doing circus for a long time. Also, you've run a circus school here in Freiburg. And nowadays you do a show with um, a bike. Can you explain a little bit what your show is and how you do it? Um, yeah, so 2020, basically just kind of after well, yeah, COVID started, um, about June, I decided to look for a job because I kind of figured there wasn't going to be much work. And I started this bike messenger job in Freiburg. And then I decided, hey, why not do a clown comedy bike show? And um, I had my other show, Devil in Disguise, which I was using, the circus bike. And um, I was like, ah, let's, let's try something different. And so basically this messenger job is a way to you know, gather material and do research and, um, and get yeah. paid for it at yeah, the same time. Yeah, get paid for it, exactly. I'm going to tell time. your courier services that you're just <laughs> actually rehearsing and they shouldn't pay you. And, and the other show, uh, Devil in Disguise, that you've been doing for, what is it, five years? I started that in um, 2010. Yeah, and so that's going to be, yeah, it would be almost 10 years that I've been basically performing. Can you describe a little bit of the makeup of the show? Yeah, the, the show is uh, basically um, an angel and a devil. And it's a combination of uh, circus skills, my circus bike, hat juggling, and clown. The start is uh, with an angel character and a transform into a little devilish guy. And so, yeah, that's... The, that's you get to play all your favorite ACDC music and rock out. Yeah, the classic street show songs that we use out there. Actually, to be honest, where I got the angel inspiration was Himmel über Berlin. It was like 2008 or seven when I first arrived in Germany. I don't, even, a, I don't even know the English, English title. Yeah, it's a, and it's a classic. And from Wim Wenders. Exactly, yeah, from Wim Wenders. And there's like this character, and it's about the circus, and that kind of sort of got it going. And then the devil kind of was influenced from the devil in disguise from Elvis Presley. So yeah, so it kind of, that's sort of what's inspired that kind of show. And, uh, and then there's a bit more of like, kind of like being the good guy and the bad guy. Okay. Think, yeah, so. I have to admit with Himmel over Berlin, I tried to watch it twice and I fell asleep twice. <laughs> but your show is much more exciting <laughs> yes, than okay. Himmel over Berlin. If you say so. <laughs> <laughs> it's a classic, but yeah, you have to, yeah, it's true. Yeah, yeah. I'm probably just a snob. I don't know. I just, uh, just <laughs> didn't get into it. Uh, you don't come from a street background. It's not like you had hippie parents uh, who walked barefoot around the place and taught you to juggle. You actually come from quite a different background. Can you tell us a little bit about where you came from? Yeah, um, I'm from Toronto, um, Canada, Toronto, Ontario. The neighborhood I grew up with, it's sort of working class, people doing their nine to five jobs, a lot of immigrants from Greek to Italian to German, a lot of Jamaicans, Africans. And so it was just blue collar or working class. 
arts, maybe musicians on, in my neighborhood, but like, yeah, so arts wasn't a thing that was very um, present in my life, uh, other than watching television or movies and stuff. It was, for me, my background was about sports. And that's what I yeah, poured myself into. You were an almost professional ice hockey player, no? Yeah, I played a lot of hockey. And that was my sort of my dream was to be a professional hockey player. And I, I remember like when I was like 15, 16, getting to that point at a very high level in, in Toronto where I would say to my friends in the dressing room, I'm like, guys, imagine playing hockey and just earning enough money like, like what a librarian would be or a school teacher. Like that would be the dream. It's like... And, uh, and then, yeah, then eventually I just realized that hockey was not going to be the, the thing for many reasons. And then there was always the idea of maybe opening up a, a hockey school to teach kids. And there was always that kind of teaching thing that I really liked, really just helping out people and stuff like that. It looks like a violent sport. Yeah, it is. It is it's a lot of aggression, a lot of, yeah, it's, uh, there's a lot of contact. And that was something that I really liked. So um, don't mess with Steve if you see him <laughs> on the street, especially yeah, in the street yeah, shows. Yeah, as we say, keep your head up, yeah, so I can uh, knock you down. But yeah, so yeah, and there is the, there is the beauty of, of hockey because, you know, you're on ice and skating and there's just such a freedom too that you can just really, just go really fast and just do things with, with uh, this, this black little thing, this puck, and, uh, and then at the, uh, at the same time you can hit some people. And yeah, so that was, that was kind of fun. And as well, being a young teenager, I remember, it's like, what do you do with your life? You know what I mean? And, and you have all this aggression, or you, as a teenager, you're just like, you're trying to figure things out. And that was really a, a nice escape. And I just love sports. That was always my thing. And I think that really helped the transition to getting into circus at a later age. You also uh, took a stint then as a courier and ended well, yeah. <laughs> up in the... Actually, it's funny because now you're a courier again, so you've done full circle, but you, you did a stint as a courier in, in the stock market, no? Yeah, when I was 16 years old, I, I got a, like a summertime job because like in Canada, the school system is you have always July and August free and, and sort of basically that's where we can earn our money. And yes, yeah, so I was a street messenger from the age of 16, like in downtown Toronto to like 20 years old. Yeah, so that was really fun. And that's actually where I first started to get exposed to art because in this messenger room, it was really cool. You had, it was, I call them all freaks. You had actors, you had musicians, and just like a lot of performing people. Just like ordinary people, no? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know about that. Yeah, so and then you had your suits, right? You know, and, and so you're in this room. And then I remember like saying, hey, Steve, do you want to watch a concert? Come and watch my show. And then coming like a bit from out, like from the suburbs of Toronto and then going into the city. And I was just like, I, that's one of my favorite jobs because it just, you just, you're, you're really green as a person and you go in and, and you meet these actors, people. And you just, it's just a different lifestyle where I was, I hadn't been exposed to that. And to see people living doing this and making money and earning it. And the other side too, the struggles of it and how hard it is. But yeah, so that was something that was kind of like a seed was planted in that time where I met some people where they're like, hey, maybe you can do something like this and, and make a living, which for me was, yeah, wasn't yeah, really an option. It was to just get a job or, yeah, or get a degree or something like that. So. I suppose like there's a little bit of a similarity in the I have a dream attitude of trying to make money out of art as there is if I have a dream I want to make money out of ice hockey. So there's probably some... There is a, that, that connection, connection, yeah. And then from there, that led to me working in the stock markets. So I basically went into this You were trading with stocks? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I was worked in the, in the stock markets from like, say, 1996 to 2001. 
And what was really cool about this time was there was basically, it was called the dot-com bubble. And so you had companies that were being listed like Google and YouTube, but nobody had a clue who these companies were. And now they're just like McDonald's, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like everybody knows what Google is. And it was just interesting to watch that. And, and so, and yeah, so I, I went through this journey of working in the stock markets and then I realized like, this is not my place and I need to do something to move, to sit and look at a monitor for me from like eight to like six in the evening. It's just was not my thing. And I wasn't, I just noticed I wasn't being very happy, but in the But you were earning money, no? You were yeah, I was earning money yeah. and I was, I was learning a lot. And, you know, and, you know, this, this is some guys that I would meet in the bar because that was the other thing that I really liked. There was the social aspect of it. You know, you finish work and then you can go and have some drinks. And so, yeah, and then you talk to people who make six figures, $100,000 or more. And I was just like, wow, this, you know, you're a young 20 year old guy and you're thinking, shit, this is maybe something I want to do. But then it was just kind of, it was for me like an empty feeling. I was like, ah, something has to be different. And I, there, there's something else out there. There's a calling for me. So then you got dragged to, to Freiburg of all places from Toronto. It's like a magnet that pulled you here. Yeah, yeah. So the story for that, it's basically, I decided when I was working in the stock markets, I needed to take a break. So I took a month off and I just went to Barcelona. And I met somebody in Barcelona who basically introduced me to the circus world. And that's where the story unfolds of me getting into like saying, hey, you know what, maybe I can do this. And so I started juggling at the age of like 28. Yeah, so I'm a bit late bloomer doing the <laughs> doing the arts thing. So basically, yeah, it's 28? going, yeah. yeah usually yeah. We're, we're stopping at that point. Yeah, oh, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of like, oh, yeah, it's the other direction. And um, that was quite a challenge, yeah. Uh, I have to say, from going to something where you think you have security, leaving Canada, leaving the country, learning the language, coming to Germany, trying to learn skills. And then even what was very challenging with circus, there's so many cool things. And I just felt like it was like a rebirth. And in my late 20s, I was just, there was this energy where I was like, ah, oh, this, this feels right. And then you started to do really everything. I mean, I met you, I think, 2004 or five, doing a clown course with me. Right, that's Back correct. then. Yeah. In the early days, and you were running a, a tiny little kid circus school at the time. It was tiny, then it grew. Yeah. And yeah. just in one room beside a very busy junction. And, and now it's like a huge school just around the corner from where we are at the moment. Yeah. So, they, yeah, it's the Circus Paluna here in Freiburg. Yeah. So that's uh, actually, that's kind of been my schooling for circus. And uh, Tina, who I met in Barcelona, really shared of a lot of her information the school owner and yeah that was quite a journey to do that and to be part of a, a circus school and to to teach and to have that luxury that I can jump on a trampoline and explore that or go on the tumbling mat uh, the trapeze I was like nah that's not my thing <laughs> I think I'd like to be on the ground and yeah and then unicycling and, and so that was uh, that that really kind of helped my development um, instead of going to like a national circus school or, or applying. Because I mean, you was, made the national circus school in your own place? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was basically just uh, practicing. And I think because of my, my, not I think I know, because of my sports background from like the age of like four or five, that was kind of instilled. And so training for me was, it was kind of easy to go into the circus. It's like, if you want to get good at something, you just got to put the time into it. And it's all about work. And uh, the thing about, about the, the circus, which I found very intriguing, is you deal a lot with fears, like trampoline, you do tumbling, and then there's the clown. You know what I mean? And that's, doing that as a profession, that is, that is yeah, that's, that's, there's, 
it can get very scary. You know, yeah. you're, 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 Do you really think there's a similarity between going on stage uh, as a clown and standing as a lonesome goalie in an ice hockey ring while everyone's running <laughs> at you? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah, there's, yeah that's, I could see that because uh, it's performance. You know, you're out there, there's this pressure, you want to do this thing. And, you know, if you're, if you're playing a game of hockey or if you're a clown, you have an audience. And, um, yeah, there's, you can have that sort of performance pressure where you want to succeed in something. And the clown has different goals and a hockey player has other, yeah, a different goal as well. But I could see that, uh, that comparison, yeah. yeah. Uh, Is being an artist all it's cracked up to be or do you regret your decision sometimes to leave your cozy million dollar job in the Toronto stock market? <laughs> you could now be living in a condo, I don't know, and best friends with ex-president Trump happily. Yeah, yeah. You know. I'm very grateful that I made this decision, but there have been a lot of, uh, let's say, days um, where I was like, I'm booking that ticket, I'm going back to Canada. In the, probably the first 10 years, from like 2001 to two to like 2010, where I was like, this is just too hard. Yeah, and basically, how do you do this financially? Yeah, and then I think as well as being a late bloomer, starting late, you think too much. Like when you're a kid or a teenager, you're practicing, you don't think of all this stuff. And so I put a lot of pressure on myself to say, hey, you got to get this stuff down. And then basically going in my 30s and standing on a stage and there's just so much insecurities coming out. Mm. But I am very thankful for that, that growth and that development because it just, you, you create this inner stability <laughs> that I've witnessed through um, choosing to, uh, to go this path. It's true. When you're younger, you kind of have the feeling the whole world is your oyster and you can do everything. And the older you get, the more the doors seem to close. And probably when you're 28 and you're just starting to juggle, you, you're probably thinking, isn't this door shut for me already? Yeah. Yeah. If, if your goal is about making money, then, um, then I'm in the wrong profession. Like being a clown and riding a bike <clears throat> and doing tricks. If I want to make money and be really rich, then that's the wrong profession. And what I realized in my early 20s is that money is not that important for me. And I think that's what I kept going back to. It's just about basically doing something where you have a passion and, and where you're inspired. And that I noticed when I was working in the stock market, it, it died very quickly because it basically circled around money and material. And then I realized that that's not my main thing. And so basically getting in a circus or teaching, um, it just, there was something, there was a nice exchange out of that. But it is like to ask your, answer your question, it's, it, gets, it gets challenging, especially nowadays with COVID. Um, how do you survive with, with, uh, with this situation? Where if you work in a bank, you've got that security, so they say, so yeah. So probably even making money on, on stocks anyways, because some companies are going up, some companies are going down. Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, that's with, uh, yeah, there's a lot of stuff. And sometimes like I, I, I'm, I'm very thankful to learn that because that's really uh, in speaking with working in the stock market, because being an artist, there's the side of creativity. And then there's the side, which is sometimes a bit fearful for artists is the business side. And that side for me is I've learned that. So that, and I'm, and I'm thankful that I can balance those two together. Mm, it's, it's important to be able to balance the two together. I talked to, to Rita yesterday and uh, she also said she can do the, the art part, but the other part, it's actually another profession. And it, it would be great if someone else would just do it for us, but no one else knows what we do as much as we do. Personally, I like that because I feel like I learned that with the circus school with Baluna, that when you're in that whole adventure, that it's up to you. 
Like if you, if you don't get out of bed and you don't do anything, then that's what's going to come out. Yeah. So you got to sort of be a self-motivator and not everybody has these skills. And that's something that I flirted with that thing where it was very difficult for me because going into a self-employed job, you know, when I was working in stock markets, I get hockey tickets, baseball tickets, I get all these perks. Like, you know, somebody's like, you can get like a, a, a microwave or whatever. It's just really, it's a, it's a different world where you're just constantly getting stuff. And then, and, and then you have your holidays and you can call in sick and this and that. And, and then when you're self-employed, it's up to you. Mm. And that's a responsibility. And what I've realized that it took a lot of work for me. And that's a skill that um, I don't know if a lot of people have that if they want to do that. And, and, and that is a choice. Maybe it's just like, you know what, that's too much for me. And I remember flirting with that thinking, whoa, I don't know, the self-employment thing, it's, uh, is this my thing? Yeah. And people end. often tell me, uh, how can you live with the insecurity mm. of art? But I actually think they ask, well, how can you live with insecurity of being self-employed because it's actually the same for every self-employed person isn't it i mean we have to find jobs next next year is not necessarily going to have any jobs for any self-employed person if you just have a mental breakdown or that's that's it's great that we that, that this comes up because i always go back to this when i wanted to give up um when i worked for four or five years in the stock markets i realized that i'm just a number uh, for me and it's, I would see guys come and go, leaving, going, jumping from one company to the other, people getting fired. Yeah, it, there, there is this thing that for me, in my, my opinion, you have security, but companies, you know, they, they're, they are so fast nowadays that some shops, they open, they close, people lose their jobs for whatever reason. So there, there is this, I don't know, they, they say there is this security, but yeah, uh, you can, yeah, you can lose your job when you're like 45, 50 years. And then I met people or I'd work with people, they'd work for 20 years with a firm and then they lost their job and they're just like, what do I do now? And we lose a job after every job, basically. Exactly, yeah. So we, we're it, used to that. And that builds and you, you kind of train that muscle like to sort of say, okay, let's get back on our feet. And I, I was just, I, I was thinking, yeah, like when you're committed to a firm and then it stops and you're in your mid forties or fifties and you're like, what do I do next? Right. And I, I just remember meeting people after losing their jobs and, and seeing that. And I was a young 20 year old and I was like, man, I don't want to go through that. I've said this before that as, a, as an artist, no one's ever said, yeah, you're going to be rich and good luck. It's usually people going, are you sure you want to do this? Is that a wise decision? Maybe you should still get a proper job while you're waiting. So we, we've always been confronted with these kind of insecurities, I think. And even COVID is just another form of those insecurities. You're dead on on that. I think what, what keeps me going is, to be honest, it's a privilege, man, to be able to, to do this job. That's something that I really love to, to do, to be able to travel, to go to different parts of the world, um, to get paid for clowning around and to ride a bike. Sometimes I got to pinch myself. I'm like, wow, you know, this is, this is really cool. And I always go back to thinking when I was a teenager, if I can make money, enough money for something that I love, that is the coolest thing. Do you ever feel like an outsider in the scene? Because I mean, you come from such a different background. I would say in the beginning, going into the arts, you have like just different beings and and I think people can feel that, like this guy is a rookie, he's a new guy. You know what I mean? You got to sort of prove yourself. And I always connected that to my sports background. It's just like, you got to put your time in and, uh, and it totally makes sense. So you felt that uh, people oh, thought you yeah, were a faker. Sure. Yeah. Uh, But to be honest, I mean, we are all fakers. Yeah, I, I, I don't know about fakers. If, well, you, you could, if you say fakers for you, I think, yeah, it's just, it's, 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 
I think it's just in any industry, like you, you, you got to get the respect from the people. When I've been going to the festivals and you start to meet people and you start to get in the family, ah, so you're still going at it. You know what I mean? It's like in the beginning, like, who is this guy? So it's sort of, yeah, you kind of, kind of get accepted into that street scene. And I had one, one, one experience, funny enough, here in Freiburg. It was actually your wedding. And we did the gala show. You know, a long-time street performer here in Freiburg, Peter. And he came up to me afterwards and he says, you've really developed. And here's a man that's been doing this quite a lot of time. That stuck with me. And, uh, and that was kind of, for me, like a moment where I was thinking, that's ah, cool, you know, to hear that from somebody. Because we all need that feedback, right? And also discover what your work really is. Because, I mean, at the start, it's always a finding process. Yeah. What can I do? What do I want to do? What could be my show? It's, they're big questions. They take some time to answer. That's for sure. It's, it's, there's a learning curve, right? And, uh, and that learning curve with performing can be pretty hard. Because when, uh, you know, doing clowning and, and doing like uh, the circus skills, um, you know, you're going to, when you fail, it's, you're out there, you're out on stage and people see that. You can't fail alone in your room. Like maybe, maybe if you work in an office or maybe if you're doing something with like the internet or, or something, you know, you can fail and maybe one or two people look. But when you fail on the street, you're failing in front of 100 people and then there are 50 people and then there are 20 and then it's just two people shaking their heads and walking away. So it's really quite a painful fail. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's good that you say that because when I think about it, it's really probably the best schooling. And actually another moment I remember, I, I think it was like 2009 or eight, and I was going and doing a couple of times in the street and I'd call you up. And I remember you said to me one evening, you're just like, Steve, you just got to play, man. And it's actually quite simple. You just, just got to get the repetitions in there. And I remember she was right. Let's just, just keep going and you're going to fail. You're going to fail. And I think me being in kind of at that point, like my mid thirties and, you know, like when you're 15, 16, 18, 19 and you're failing, it's like, you know, it's, I think it, for me, maybe it's just, that's what's my thing that I was dealing with. But in the end, it's just about repetition. It's about playing it and working it and working it. And that's with everything. And the painful part of failing on the street is, of course, that people see you. But at the same time, they are a very honest director who will just walk away if it gets too uninteresting. To some extent, it forces you to be a little bit extravagant, I suppose. But I mean, it's a good way to learn. Yeah, and I, and I think it's one of the best schoolings. I only did very briefly for a couple of years kind of pure busking. And it's done with, you know what I mean? But like, I wish... No, I can actually still, I can still like with this new show, go and do it. And there's just that fear, you know what I mean? Like when you're doing festivals and everything's kind of set up for you. Like, as they say, if you can survive pure busking and you can do shows, then basically you've got a, a, a real big tool in your toolbox. Yeah, I hardly do any busking anymore, but I know the hardest thing for me is always like on the street, you're always a loser until you convince them otherwise. And when you go to a festival, it's like, ah, oh, here's Shiva Grings, he's going to perform. And you're already like, you've got like a status. When you're on the street, people are like, who is this loser? And especially my show is also very like, I play a bit of a loser. And the fear is always, of course, that you'll remain that loser until the end of the show. And there won't be this turning point. But that's the turning point that you're waiting for on the street. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the, the thing is, is that I go back to actually learn f with one of your clown workshops is the saddest thing. I really go back to that a lot. And I think about that. And that is, yeah, as, as in the clown character. Um, and how I work my clown. I think a lot about what is my status? What is the audience's status? Now going to your, back to your question. 
yeah, like your status is when you stand on the streets, you know what I mean, and 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 um, and you're there, and basically if this goes bad, it's like wow, you know what I mean? It's it's quite demoralizing. Mm, and there's so and much advice then about oh, why well, you should do this or you should do that. Yeah, exactly. Or, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then and it's just crazy because it's just like when it hits, man, that's such a feeling. You know mm. what I mean? It's just it's so. It's like I just conquered this little plaza or this plaza or whatever or this 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 square or so. And then there's you know, there's this times where you're just alone there and you're just like, wow, man, should I keep doing this? <laughs> so, yeah. So and I, and I think that just it's builds layers as a performer or even just as an individual. It's like if you can survive that. And I remember that men, the beginning dying on mm. the streets. I was just thinking, hey, man, if you if you can get this, like it's like it'll, it'll, it'll really help you in the long run. But I was like, this is the hardest freaking thing I've ever done in my life. It's a real roller coaster. I mean, I've seen many people who've actually broken down because of it. Oh, because in one minute, you're fantastic. You're mm. the best person on the planet. Next minute, nobody wants to look at you. No yeah. one catches your eyes. So it's really a roller coaster. You're totally naked. You're out there. You're just, you're just, yeah, you're just, you're standing there and you're doing your thing or whatever you're trying to do that you want to perform. And if, if people come to me and they ask, and, I, and you know, it all depends. Like we all have different ways of how we develop. But that is what I would say. And I would just say, go out there, go out there, go out there and just, just, yeah. And just play and play and die and play again and just keep going. <laughs> and then eventually you'll turn out. And that's just like any job, you know what I mean? Like what I'm, you know, it's in the beginning, there's that learning curve. Mm -hmm. yeah. Let's hope we don't have to do that all over again after Corona to learn how to do the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. Final question. What will you take with you from this COVID 2020 year? Is there anything that is stands out for you an image or an experience what i see is what a privilege it has been to do this for 10 years to be able to perform and and make money doing this thing to travel to meet different people and to present your work actually this is kind of like a gift it's kind of made me think hey man this is really you're really lucky to do this and uh, and just yeah stay stay put and and let the storm will pass Right. And to use this time to sort of develop things, um, which is not easy. It's, uh, I've, I've been finding in the beginning, it was kind of easy in the summer and now I've had a bit of a lag, but that's, you know, that's, that's my thing. So yeah, so I, I look at it to say, Hey, this, this is a really cool thing that I do and not to give up. And, um, because yeah, we don't know how long this thing is going to go. So that's, that's what, what I, what I take from it is that how lucky I have been to be able to do this for like a decade. Nice. So, Steve, thank you very much for being here. Mm -hmm. You're very welcome. See you later in the bar, I when the bar is open again. <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. The final episode of This Is What We Do For a Living Season 2, The Quarantine Sessions. It's been wonderful to interview all of these wonderful guests, and I'd like to thank them all personally again for coming onto the show. I'd also especially like to thank Maya for giving me the entire equipment without which, well, this wouldn't have been a podcast, really. If you'd like to support me, then head over to www.shivagrings.com and buy a copy of the book, This Is What We Do For A Living, or just support me via PayPal. The information is down below this podcast. It's been great to be with you on this little trip and see you all at the other end of the pandemic. <laughs>